It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Wednesday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. You got Schmelk Meadow Detino with you today. The phone number, we'll get to your calls probably in about 15 minutes or so, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. A lot of stuff going on this offseason as Giant news continues to break. We'll talk about all of that and more. And guys, Jeff and I spoke about uh, both the reports regarding the fact that the Giants are on track to perhaps hiring Don Martindale, former Ravens defensive coordinator and linebackers coach, as their defensive coordinator. So people have heard my take on it already. I'll pepper you guys with some questions about it too. Uh, but Lance, let's start with you. What was your reaction when, when you saw that report from Adam Schefter? Well, we were talking about this, I believe it was on Monday's show, when Paul and I were having conversations, and you were included in that too, John, about if it – is a first-time head coach that you have who, in all likelihood, could very well still call the plays. We don't know. You want to bring in a veteran NFL coach who has been in that position before and can handle that without having to have the offensive side of the ball oversee that entity. And I think Martindale fits that bill. You're talking about a guy that was with the Ravens for the last 10 seasons, first the linebackers coach, then the defensive coordinator. He also served as the Broncos defensive coordinator. So experience is not lacking in his department. I think it's a good compliment. Forget what his track record says. Just in terms of his experience and what you're bringing somebody like that in to run, I think this is a really nice compliment for Brian Dable to then focus on the offensive side of the the ball and let Martindale do his thing on defense. So from that standpoint, I really like it. In terms of the track record, the Ravens have had one of the most consistent defenses since he was the defensive coordinator going back to 18. Last year, it wasn't pretty. They had a lot of injuries, but I actually thought given the injuries, and maybe this was more so on the offensive side of the ball, they actually did a good job remaining competitive given all of the firepower that they had lost. And he's also an individual that's been running a 3-4 base, which is what Patrick Graham had been running, though I don't know how much stock I put in that because I think in today's NFL, you play the nickel defense more often than not, and guys yeah, like switch 80%. personnel. Yeah, yeah. so I mean, I wouldn't get caught up in that. I'm just saying that's the fact that you have personnel that's used to a 3-4 base. It doesn't hurt, especially if you wanted to keep some of the core ingredients. I think if he inherited that group... I don't think it'd be a rude awakening. But, I mean, those to me are my main takeaways from that standpoint. You know, guys, I'm with you, Lance, on everything that you said. I think, you know, he is characteristically a very aggressive-minded defensive coordinator. Always tops in the league in pressure, right? Loves to bring pressure. Loves to bring it. Now, the problem is when you do that, it's a high-risk, high-reward style of defense. You have to have two components. Otherwise, the risk-reward factor is very, very dangerous. Number one, you have to know that the guys who are you ascending can beat their matchups and get home. Now, we've seen too many Giants defenses over the last several years that when the Giants blitz, they don't get home. Now, their guys don't win those matchups. The other thing that Martindale does, though, he will one. sometimes blitz more guys than you can block, in which case he creates free rushers, which then eliminates the need to actually beat the guy one-on-one. But that's extra risky. When you absolutely when you That's go risk when, reward, you, yeah. when you go that heavy now you better got the guys in the back to hold, to hold up and that's the second component okay? right which is the second component okay so if you're just gonna blitz often 
You need guys up front who are going to win those blitz matchups. Otherwise, it's suicide. Because if you blitz and your guys can't get home, you're dead. Now, I will say this. The Ravens have not had great individual pass rushers the last few years. They haven't. They've done it by creating pressure with blitzes, not necessarily winning. Now, Matthew Judon was very good last year. They didn't have a Matthew Judon. You know, they had Oway, the rookie out of Penn State. But they have not. a really nice rookie season. He did have a nice rookie year. Yeah. Remember Um, Calais Campbell a few years ago. Yeah, but he's, you know, he's more of an inside guy. That You know, I would say, you know, Campbell and Leonard Williams are very similar players in that respect. You know, they don't, they don't, the the Ravens, the way they approach it, right, they invested in the secondary Mm -hmm. and then said, we're going to use the blitz to pressure the quarterback. We're not going to spend, you know, invest heavily in, in individual pass rushers because we're going to blitz so much. But then the back end has to cover to give those guys time to get home. I mean, we, we say it all the time, and every coach will tell you this. It's a complimentary situation. You know, your secondary's better when the front gets to the quarterback, and the front can get to the quarterback if the secondary can hold up. It, it's complimentary football within the defensive unit. But the problem is, again, as we've seen so many times with the Giants, you know, Patrick Graham played the bend-but-don't-break philosophy, which is exactly the opposite of what Martindale will do. But the problem is, if you are the risk-taker that Martindale is, again, your blitzers need to get home because you don't want to send necessarily more guys than the other people have because now your secondary is under a tremendous amount of heat back deep. And as I, I didn't look at the numbers here, John. I know you have the analytics numbers on this. They got beat on a lot of deep balls. I can check those. Numbers. The risk reward did not work out very well for Martindale in the one supposed down year he had with his defense when it wasn't quite top 10. Well, remember, they lost like five like cornerbacks. It was a disaster. Correct. Correct. Okay. But, but that speaks to, okay, if you're going to be that kind of defense, A, those guys got to get home when they have a chance up front, but B... If they don't get home, now you've got the the worry of, are my guys on the back end good enough that they can hold up at an adequate level? Otherwise, you're going to be giving up 30, 40-yard pass plays, you know, like commonplace. I remember that could be dangerous. And by by the way, just to stress, this hire, and I kind of referenced this before, this hiring is not official. This is just a report. Nothing's on the dotted line, so things can change. Go ahead, Lance. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think what Paul's talking about, the one game that comes to my mind is they played the Bengals. Yep, I believe it. it was the first matchup. Joe Burrow. Jamar Chase just had a field day, so did Joe mm-hmm. Burrow. And then, remember, that was a game, by the way, Marlon Humphrey was still healthy for that game. And by, so the, by the way, like, had not it, lost him yet. it was actually both games against the Bengals that yeah. were an utter disaster. I couldn't remember the second game, the stats. I just know the first game, Chase had a monster oh, no. contest. S- second yeah. game, Burrow went for 450 and mm-hmm. five touchdowns. Yeah. Well, they, so the the only deal. thing I will say is by that time, though, guys, they did lose a few few more pieces oh, absolutely. in terms yes. of the secondary. No That's question. the only difference. Yep. That's why, to me, the first game, what Paul's talking about when you take those risks and you still have your key players on the field and you're still getting beat, yeah, that's certainly a concern. In terms of the logistics of the secondary that John was referencing, Marcus Peters went down right before the season started. He tore his ACL in practice, so they didn't have him at all. Humphrey played 12 games. He didn't get hurt until December, so he did have one of his top corners for the majority of the year. Deshaun Elliott, one of their top safeties, was in and out of the lineup, only Mm -hmm. played six games. So Peters and Elliott were the two significant losses that he really couldn't rely on for the majority of the season. But in fairness, he did have Humphrey. I would say, for a good bulk of the year. Now, who was his top corner? And by the way, I have that number for you, Paul. Yeah, they what gave you up 120 pass plays of 15 or more yards, second most in the league to only the Jets. Okay. 
So the numbers do bear it out. And do I do want me to check last year too? Just so so is that of only fifteen or more? Do you have twenty or thirty yards? I, I, I have to sort available. That. I have to, I have to okay. sort for that. I need a minute before uh, you get there. Okay. And and the year before that, they allowed the fourth fewest. Right. So yeah, just it, those are the two numbers. It's high risk, high reward. Now again, if you've got the guys who can play it and and make it happen because their talent level is good enough, it's a great system. But you've got to have enough talent to make it work. And, of course, the layman will say, well, isn't that always the case? No, not always. Because the bend but don't break philosophy can actually be more effective even if you have lesser talent. No, this, this requires a specific type of talent Absolutely to does. make it work. You ha- and it has to be at a certain level or it does not work. Now, I would ask both of you guys. 20-plus Ravens most last year, 74. There you go. 20-plus. I give you 40-plus most in the league with 16. Yep. So there you go. Yep. I don't have 30, sorry. Okay. And that, <laughs> and that fits exactly into the profile that I'm talking about. Right. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I will ask both of you guys this because I've thought about it myself since this report came out that he would likely be the D.C. I said to myself, okay, well, let's see. Guys in the front seven, we know they need an additional pass rusher. I don't know if Ellison Smith is going to progress enough in year number two after what was almost a redshirt year if he can be counted on to add much to the pass rush. We all believe the Giants need to add a pass rusher in the draft, correct? We all agree on that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. All right. So that that's going to be a component they got to get if, if he is the D.C. The other component is we talk about the secondary. Well, I think we all believe, let's talk about the guys under contract. We all believe McKinney and Love are good safeties. McKinney could be an all-pro potentially, right? We love that. Peppers is not under contract, and I don't know if cap-wise they're even going to be able to bring him back. But, but all right, so they got two safeties that we believe. Now, what do you do with the corners? If you believe that Bradbury is going to be in danger of being a cap casualty, all right, now you better have a lot of faith in Adoree Jackson, and maybe do you have faith in either Williams or Robinson, maybe Robinson, to be the other corner? Holmes. That's, I don't know. Is home? Is home? You I'm have just, more faith I, in him or Holmes? I'm just putting them both in the mix. Well, I'm going to ask both of you guys. I think that's a competition. I, do you think? And I think the Giants will definitely need to get another body to choose from for the competition. The question becomes, how how much do you hurt that part of his defense if Bradbury is a cap casualty? And that's the exact same question I asked Fegels yesterday. Oh, and I, and I didn't hear the no, show. I know you didn't. That, but literally, that was the one of two questions I was going to ask you guys. So me and you were on exactly the same page, Paul. That was my thought, too. That's the tough question. And then if you let him go, then does cornerback then become a big priority in the draft? Where you maybe now you're thinking about using one of those topics on a cornerback. If you need that press man corner and there are a couple of guys that play press man corner at the top of this draft class that people like you know is that something then you consider so yes I do think that's an interesting conversation they'll have to have because the one thing you need I think it's even more important than having the pass rushers Paul I gotta be honest with you I think one and one a and then pass rusher is, mm-hmm. is a fairly distant number two if you want to run this system with press man you got to have corners that can cover or you're going to be toast. Okay. Toast. So it's really, really, really tough. So now, A, you're relying on a Dory Jackson 
to be what you signed him to be. And stay healthy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's got to be that kind of player. He can't be anything less. Well, look, you're committed to him That's financially, one. and he's going to be here. So okay. whether you want to be or not, you gotta he, make has, use he has of to him. be the guy. And he better be good. Correct. And two, if, if you don't get that guy in the draft, now you're not going to be able to pay for one of those guys in free agency. Nope. Okay. So if Bradbury's gone, if he's gone. And again, we're not advocating that, saying it's no, going to happen. Not. This is just based on what other people are speculating. Looking purely at numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. He becomes a risky proposition to keep because of the numbers. Can Rodarius Williams or Aaron Robinson, can one of those two guys potentially be that guy if they win a competition against whoever you draft in the draft, thinking that maybe that guy is, you know, is, there, there are no Okudas in this draft. You know I would saying? lean towards Robinson. Uh, you know me, I'm not a guy to trust six-round picks. And you threw picks. Holmes in there, too. Yes. You did throw and Holmes Darren, in there. Holmes was a third-round pick. Do th- th- you think Holmes can win the job? Well, I mean, let's be honest. You need three anyway. Hell no doubt. two, Paul. I mean, you, not, you need to have a slot guy. You know, well, you line up against the Dallas Cowboys. Who's covering C.D. Lamb is, yeah, three inside? I'd still yeah. like to think that Holmes can be the slot guy. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, But you still need three. However you want yeah. to arrange them. I know. And I think, look, they, they they made Aaron Robinson a day two pick last year for a reason. So that's the guy I would automatically look to, Lance. I don't know about you. Now, before you say, before you answer that, remember when the Giants drafted Robinson. Yeah, now, we don't, we don't know mm-hmm. how this administration feels about right. him, but they talked about him as being able to be an outside corner a slot corner, and potentially a safety yeah. and he was long more, term. And he was more considered inside corner to okay. me than an outside guy, at least in my opinion. But a guy who yep. potentially could play three different spots. Lance? Well, and if you're Martindale and you're blitzing from the slot, I think you could use Holmes and Robinson in both of those positions. Because especially if you're not asking those guys to cover and he's aggressive and you know that they can run blitzes out of the slot, both of those guys could be options. The other name that I was going to throw out that we haven't brought up is, and I know at this point in his career – he wants to play safety, but if you're crunched for numbers financially, I'd entertain the idea of maybe moving Logan Ryan to corner a little bit because you have Julian Love, who you can put at safety with McKinney. So uh, I'm I not sure he can play outside, though, Lance. I think he would have to well, be your inside guy. Well, then that's fine, though, but I take him on the inside. Listen, we just talked about you need three guys. If you don't have the flexibility financially to make an aggressive move, and I think they probably could bring in a veteran corner who probably is not going to cost a lot of money, maybe somebody that worked with Martindale previously. I wouldn't rule that out, but I would try to take advantage of the versatility I have on the roster, especially guys that can play safety and corner, and I would move Logan Ryan into a little bit of a corner role. And, John, if it's only the slot, then that's fine. That at least helps you alleviate some of your other pressure if you can't be that aggressive through free agency. And Julian Love could be a guy there, too. But I've yeah. always seen him as more of a zone corner than a mm. press man type corner. At least well, that's opinion. why I'm campaigning for Ryan. Right. Because, A, he's got more experience. B, he's been in a variety of defenses. And even if, once again, if you're that aggressive defense and you want guys from the secondary to blitz, I think Logan Ryan can be utilized in that role. You I, certainly saw him do that in previous stops. Yeah, I agree with your assessment about Ryan's blitz, caping, uh, blitz capabilities. There's no question about that. He does do well in those spots. I wonder at this stage of his career, though, how much cover corner skills he has, even if it's a slot guy, because there are different yeah. aspects mm-hmm. of that sure. game, whether or not you're outside or inside. I wonder at, at this stage of his career, diminishing skills, if he's capable of that. To me... I I would find him to be most valuable as the disguised safety, you know, in in the in the deep package because he has done so much over his time with the Giants in terms of fooling quarterbacks, 
and and using his disguises and using his mind games to play with people. It's a lot tougher for you to get the benefit of his craftiness if you're going to stick him on a slot guy or yeah. you're going to stick him on a boundary guy. You're almost wasting the best aspect that he brings to the game. Yeah, the other thing I'd throw out there to you guys before we, before we get to the calls here, we'll open up the phones, give us a call, we'll get you on hold at 201-939-4513. The flexibility part of this, right? You know, after they lost all those cornerbacks, Lance, and you're rolling out there with your fourth and your fifth corner, and you're playing the Bengals and Joe Burrow, you know, there wasn't an adjustment where it's like, well, I don't have the guys now to do this, so I'm going to adjust what I do. Be a little bit more conservative. No, I'm doing what I do, and if that means Joe Burrow throws for 400 and something yards and five touchdowns, so be it. I wonder if those are some conversations that happened about the need where maybe, look, we know what you like to do, we know what you coach, you know what you're good at, but depending on what you're looking at in terms of the talent on the roster, would you be a little bit more willing to adjust what you do if we find that the press man stuff isn't working with our guys? Great, great question, John. And I think we saw that with Patrick Graham when he came up from Miami. We expected him to be much more blitz-happy than he was. Mm -hmm. But he got here, did all the machinations and multiple schemes that we expected, but we didn't see the heavy blitz because, you know what? Patrick Graham looked at the team and said, I don't think that's the best way to go with what this team has. So let's more go to the to the shell, go to the bend but don't break kind of thing. And it was effective. I, I think he did a real nice job, especially with what he had. But that showed his ability to mold the clay around what he had. And what you're saying now to both of us, can Martindale do that if necessary? Now, I will say this. I'm looking at the numbers last year. They were just 14th in cover one percentage. I'm plazing cover one, but they were third in your percentage in cover zero. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot of man. They played cover yeah. six a lot, which is half the field can be, you know, a man and zone combination, some type of combo coverage, right? Mm-hmm. So they did do different things, but the impression from watching them, they're um, they're a man team. He's coming the after Ravens. you. Yes. <laughs> He's coming after He's you. Not and gonna He's going to make it easy man. on you. Right. Yeah. And it, then it's a matter of can the quarterback adjust? And when the quarterback adjusts and you go up against a veteran or somebody that's been exposed to a Martindale defense, you know, that's when all of a sudden it comes back to bite you, which is that risk-reward type of mentality. But what you're talking about, John, I would say it's the same thing that Brian Dable's going to face. Dable's not bringing the Buffalo offense with him. He's not bringing Josh Allen with him. He's not bringing Dinks. some of the other key ingredients, right, <laughs> yeah. for the targets. So he's got to now look at the Giants offense. He's got to look at Daniel Jones, and he says – do I run the same plays that I did with Allen? Do I risk Daniel Jones taking those hits? Can he survive a full season? So I think both coaches on each facet of this team have the same questions that they need to ask themselves. Do I take my philosophy with me and just say, hey, guys, you're going to have to adapt, or do I adapt to now personnel that can't necessarily run where I was in the previous stop? So I think that's going to certainly be an early question mark for both sides of the ball, but Martindale, he'll slowly realize, like every other coach, when you don't have Marcus Peters and you don't have Marlon Humphrey and you don't have Deshaun Elliott and you don't have you know some of the guys up front, you have to give it a different train of thought. I think the other thing that maybe could change his thinking, guys, remember, he's now coming from a division. Just think about this, where he went up against Joe Burrow twice a year, mm-hmm. went up against Ben Roethlisberger twice a year. 
okay? Even with the Browns, as much as they've had issues, you know they can run the ball. And when Baker's healthy, I still think he's a productive quarterback. So now you're going to be facing a different group of offenses, a different group of quarterbacks. Does that all of a sudden influence his mindset? That's not to say that it's a cakewalk in this division, but Jalen Hurts is a younger quarterback. Washington, we'll see what happens with them. I mean, Dak is really the guy that you know in this division outside of everybody else. Does that allow him to be a little bit more aggressive in the first matchups with the division foes and then change things? Or does he say, hey, you know what? I don't have the guys that could consistently get after the quarterback. I'd rather play conservative early in the season. I think who you play in the division dictates a lot of that as well. And I'll say this too. If you're hiring Don Martindale, you know what you're getting, right? I mean, if you yes. hire him... You Unless get, you're living under a yeah. rock. <laughs> I would hope you are bringing him in because you want him to run that type of pressure base You know system, what's interesting, right? John? Dable and the Bills, on the other side of the ball, they didn't run that. No, they didn't. That's they true. They did not. No, Sean they, McDermott is, is kind of that, you know, rush four and, and get that yeah. way. Yeah. puts a little bit. Yeah. McDermott's system is nothing like what Martindale was running with the Ravens. So that's why, as much as I always believed that Martindale's resume was the best resume of all the free agent defensive coordinators on the street, I don't think there's any question about that. Fangio probably had the second best resume of the guys available on the street. I, as I looked at it, I said, well, look, if this is in a box, in a bubble, there's no doubt. You, you immediately go, Martindale's the best candidate. He's got the best resume. He's got the most credentials. That's the guy you want to hire. But then I said to myself, hmm, there would, be, there would be a question I'd have to ask myself. And that is, the Bills, the familiar defense, even though Dable was an offensive uh, coach, he came from a Buffalo Bills team that was very successful, and their defense was nothing like what Martindale does. What is Dable's taste for right. what he wants on defense? Well, I mean, I think we know what it is now, given what he just well, did, right? If, if this hire is true. Right. Again, if it happens. If it happens. Then that's what that assumes. And by the way, I should mention this too, guys. And Len, I thought, called up and made a good point about this yesterday. Raven stopped the run. You will not run on the Ravens' no. defense. Well, like last year even, and that's without their corners. And again, they, they, they stayed what they did. You know, they allowed the fewest rushing yards in the league at 1,436. And then people will say, well, how about yards per carry? Well, that was pretty darn good, too. That was third best in the league at yeah. 3.8. So front seven hits you. Yes, it is a physical, aggressive type of defense. Lance, you got anything else well, before we get the Well, the one thing here? I was going to add to that, though, is given their issues on the back end, I think most teams went in saying we're going to throw the ball against Baltimore. Correct. And the hell with even running, too. Well, but, so, right, but that's why I checked the yards yeah. per carry. Mm-hmm. Sure. No, I, I get that, but yes. you know, sometimes those things are dictated based on you going in knowing, for example, Tampa Bay is very good against the run. Most teams go in facing the Bucks; they're like the hell with it. I mean, we're no, not going to be able to run fair. the ball. No, that's fair. We're going to try to throw it. Not to say that that shouldn't be considered, but I do think that that plays a role in strategy. What I was going to throw out, and this actually reminded me what Pat Shermer did, and I'm not saying that it yielded great results, guys, but just hear me out. I think one of the reasons why Dable hired Martindale is – If you look, the Ravens had good success against the Bills' offense when Dable and Martindale went head-to-head. And the reason I bring up Shermer is Shermer and Betcher didn't cross paths. But if you remember, when Shermer announced Betcher's hiring, he said, when I I went up against the Arizona defense, he gave us trouble. And I always respected what he did, and that was why I hired him as my defensive coordinator. Look at the matchups between Baltimore and Buffalo. In 2018, the Bills visited Baltimore. The Ravens held the Bills to three points. Now remember, they, rookie rookie quarterback sure. Josh no, Allen. Josh Allen year. was a rookie quarterback, mm-hmm. but let's go beyond that. 2019, he held them to 17 points. 
And then the playoff game, even though the Bills won, that was a low-scoring affair in the teens. So Martindale's had a pretty good track record against the Buffalo offense. I would not be surprised if that stuck out to Dable. I mean, he's an offensive coordinator, right? Mm -hmm. You remember the guys that give you headaches, don't you? Sure. Not just the head coach, the coordinators, the guys that are really difficult to game plan each and every week. I think that played some type of a role in terms of why he went in Very this direction. Possible. No, absolutely. Very I, possible. I, I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. No argument. All right, 201-939-4513. Guys, we got empty lines here. Let's get on the let's get on the let's get on the horn here and give us a call. 201-939-4513. So as we get the callers in here, I asked Jeff this yesterday and I gave my take. So uh, I know both of you guys listened to my interview with Joe Shane that I did at the senior bowl. Uh, your reactions to that and what he said, if you guys have any main takeaways from that before we get to the calls. I mentioned it to you before the uh, the program, John, and you know, we don't know these guys personally enough yet to know how much they really are revealing. We also know that, and, and, and I know both of you guys will second this a million times over, you do get a lot of deception uh, over the course of time, especially as you're going into the draft and the combine and free agency and stuff like that. Now, I, I think that Joe Shane is a very forthright uh, fella. I think he answered the questions to you probably as honestly as he could. But again, I don't know where that line is with him yet because I don't know the guy in a personal enough level. I mean, there were head coaches, uh, coordinators, scouts, GMs who over my career, they could look you dead in the eye and they could tell you something and be lying to your face and you'd never know it. They would lie to their mothers when it came <laughs> to the draft. No, I'm telling you. And I okay. remember well, I, assuming he was being honest, is there anything that jumped out to you from the interview? How about let's start there? <laughs> uh again, I took everything with a grain of salt, but I thought he was very forthright as much as he could be. And I do think I'm gonna defer to you, Lance, and then come back. Go ahead. No, Paul, I actually understand where you're coming from. I, I don't think it's crazy to say that there are a lot of executives, and I'm not putting Joe Shane under this umbrella, but I think what you're getting at is when they have the press conferences leading up to the draft, of course they're going to say things because they don't want to give away any intel about what direction they may go. So in terms of the main takeaways, John, I mean, one of the things that he emphasized was, because I believe you asked about positional value, which, you know, obviously is a key conversation going back to the previous yeah, regime a, here with the Giants. Item. You know, do you value certain positions as opposed to you're just open-minded and if it's a great player, even if he may be a running back, you're going to take him anyway because you think he's a good playmaker. So I think most GMs, though, have the philosophy of, of course, I'm going to place certain value on positions because you look at the track record of what's going on around the league. I don't think that that was mm -hmm. sort of him putting on a, a dog and pony show. But what I will say, and this goes back to what you were saying, Paul, Right now, when you have a generic outlook of the draft, you certainly have those philosophies. But when the clock is ticking, okay, and all of a sudden guys are falling off the board, it sometimes does change philosophies and changes your options about, you know, maybe now you want to move down. Whereas you came into the draft saying, hey, five and seven, we're going to get fantastic playmakers. I'm coming in. I'm not moving. But all of a sudden, somebody you had a really big love affair with is no longer on the board. And that in the split of a second could change your mind to now all of a sudden want to move out of that fifth or the seventh spot. So that's the caveat that I just want to throw out there. But I don't think any Thing he said was you know out of the ordinary I think it's certainly good strong philosophy but all I'm gonna say once again is when you're in the heat of the moment I think sometimes that does change the thinking of any executive because you have to be willing to all of a sudden in the flip of a switch 
you have to be able to adapt during the course of the draft. I think we've seen that with a variety of different teams. To clarify, and I think it builds off of what you just said, Lance, and it goes back to what I was trying to say before, but I didn't really want to get too specific on it because I didn't know if that's necessarily where we wanted to go. But there was a lot of play off of what he said to you, John, about having more Mm at-bats. That got the most play around all the outside media. There was a second part of that answer, though. There was. Mm -hmm. There was. But the way it was played, I don't know how crafty Joe Shane is, and because you have you had to know. I mean, he's doing the interview with you, and you're going to post it on the website, so he knows it's going out there. So it's basically like press conference material. Is that something that he threw out there intentionally because he wants to know what kind of interest there might be in somebody potentially moving up? He wants to know if he's going to get phone calls because he knows this is going to be out there. And, and that points to what I'm saying and what Lance is saying in terms of grain of salt. Was there a purpose behind him being that way to you? Or does he truly believe that he wants to get as many draft picks as he can and he's very amenable to moving down? And you can't necessarily go by the Bills track record because how much of that was really Bean or how much of it was really Shane? I, I think the one thing that he didn't answer for you we talked about how Bean said he included Shane in everything that he did, and if he didn't, he made sure to catch him up to speed. He always told him everything he was doing. So he was almost like a pseudo-co-GM. What I still don't know is truly how many of the big moves besides the Josh Allen quarterback draft, how many of the big moves that the Bills made over the last five years were truly Shane wound up pointing the thing in that direction yeah, or how much of it was being, and we'll never know that. Right, and, and he's obviously not going to answer that question if of you course ask him not. anyway. Of course not. He's going to say, yeah, I didn't want Josh Allen. I wanted Sam Darnold. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he'd yeah. say that. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> right. See, that to me is the billion-dollar question that we'll never get an answer to. Well, and that's Paul, the one that would give me the most value. The only thing I'll add is, Paul, whether or not he had a tremendous amount of influence, the good news is he learned from those circumstances. That right? is true. he was yep. there. That so is true. If it comes up again, Paul, you could say he could tap into, hey, I remember Brandon Bean had this conversation with this GM, and we were looking at similar value and so forth. So I look at that, whether or not he was the heavy lifter or he was an observer. Right? Yeah. yeah. It certainly helps him. You learn from every draft you participate Correct. in. No yeah, absolutely. About it. All yeah. right, 201-939-4513, 201-939-4513. Rich in Long Island will lead us off today. What's up, Rich? Hey, guys. What's going on? How are you, Paul? Hi. just want to say... But, you know, we, we've chatted on Twitter here or there. But, again, I just want to say I agree with you. Come training camp time, repetition, guys got to get out there and play. It works. But, anyway, a couple of things what I wanted to talk about is, uh, you know, I was a little disappointed. You know, I thought Judge, you know, I would have liked to seen Judge back. But as things have progressed, ever since uh, the skies have got clearer when the Eagles and Cowboys lost, it seems everything's been uh, looking good for the Giants. I really like the GM, the interview you had, uh, one of you guys uh, listened online. I just like everything, his evaluation. What do you guys know about how, uh, and I know he's evaluating the scouts, but what about the strength and conditioning, the medical teams? Has he begun uh, reviewing those departments? Well, I imagine he's begun reviewing everything at this point. I mean, he basically got hired, hired the head coach, then was at the Senior Bowl. 
So he's had literally two and a half days this week when he wasn't at the Senior Bowl or doing those other things. So, And I'm sure he's assisting and, and helping uh, Brian Dable in hiring his coaches. You mean he's busy? He probably has a lot going on. But, no, it, it, right, but, Rich, all jokes aside, yes, I'm sure he's looking at all that stuff to see what he can do better, who he can bring in to help those programs and improve in those areas. Look, that's that's what he's going to be doing, along with you know scouting these college prospects over the next three months or so, is figuring out what direction he wants his organization to go on that side of the building. Well, and Rich, remember, well, Mike, he just brought in an assistant GM at Brandon Brown. Right. So, I yeah. mean, he already well, made a change that. in terms of that. And the other thing that's important to note is even if he started the process of evaluating the scouts, you're not going to make changes until after the draft anyway because these are the yeah. guys that were out on the road all season evaluating the prospects that now you have to make decisions on. Regardless of his intel that he's bringing over with Buffalo, it would really not help your cause if you parted ways with scouts well before the draft. So those changes are not going to come until after the spring, if he even gets to that. And as far as strength and conditioning, Rich, you also have to understand, you know, that's part of the coaching staff. So Brian Dable's going to have some influence with All respect right. to who he wants to bring in at that position, just not the GM. That's more of a team type of decision as opposed to just one individual. I, I will say All this, right. though, in terms of the strength and conditioning program. You know, at the end of every season, uh, players meet with the strength and conditioning guys and they get uh, suggestions as to what we think you could work on and what kind of program you might have during the offseason before you come back in a couple of months to begin part of the off-season training program with the team. So those instructions were already given out, you know, at the end well, of this past season to all the players as they left and went to their respective homes around the country. So to be frank with you, I'm not trying to be a wise guy. If no. Dable and Shane want to change anything with the strength and conditioning program, it's kind of too late to change that part of it. Because those guys were given their instructions. They've left. They've gone home. They're not coming back for a couple of months. You know, they're kind of doing what they're doing, what was prescribed to them already. Well, you know what? Also, all right, I appreciate that. And, Paul, as I said to you, there was nobody better for Big Blue than uh, Johnny Parker back in the 80s. Love Johnny Parker. Oh, I loved it. My next point, so I'm listening to you guys, and I'm, like, hearing a little, you know, I'm worried about uh, – Martindale coming in here with his blitz schemes in here. So let, let's just say, who else do you guys feel, if he doesn't get the position uh, that you're looking at, would be a good fit for us? And with that, guys, thanks. You have a great afternoon. Appreciate it, Rick. Okay. What was, who did you ask about that last he, question? Well, he, he was saying if Martindale doesn't solidify a deal here, right. who is the next best choice for defensive coordinator? Uh, I mean, the, the only thing I will say to you, Rich, and, and, again, let's be totally honest here. This is totally hypothetical. The, the, to me, the next best defensive coordinator resume on the street was Vic Fangio. Now, Vic Fangio, in the last few years, had become more of a bend-but-don't-break defensive oh, he's, philosophy He's always been guy. that way. He's always been a two-safety when, guy. Way back when, though, way back when, and we're, we're talking a lot of years ago, he was more aggressive with his blitzes. Like 2011-49 or we're way back. Yeah, we're going right. back. Mm-hmm. Well, okay. he also had the big guys up front. Exactly. Yeah. He came from that originally and then morphed over time into a bend-but-don't-break guy. So that, again, you're talking about a totally different style and philosophy. And also a four-man front guy, not a yes, three-man front Yes, correct. Guy. Mm-hmm. Although he's done actually both. He's done some of both over his career. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, the question, and I appreciate the question, 
But if you're simply looking at it from who's got the best and most qualified resume, you could probably put them in order, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're the best fit for your team. Well, I think you could throw on Mike Zimmer resume-wise, too. Zimmer's got a good resume, too. So, you know, I would put him and Fangio up there. If you're just going based on resume, you know, those two guys were defensive coordinators for quite some time. Wade Phillips also has a real good resume, too. Wade Phillips, too. And he's, for some reason, you know, he's been out of football. I know he has a desire to get back in, but, you know, nobody really has gone after him over the last few seasons since he parted ways with the Rams. But that would be a third guy. Head coaching experience, defensive coordinator position. So, you know, he's certainly not lacking in that department. I think we're all operating right now based on the reports that Martindale is the guy, and hopefully the deal will go through. So I don't know how helpful it is to start speculating on, you know, plan B, C, D, and E, even though we do emphasize on this show nothing is official until the team announces it. So I understand that I respect the question, but I think at this point we're operating under the premise that Martindale will be the guy. The one thing that I just wanted to throw out with respect to your points about Fangio— And, and Lance, by the way, just really quickly, all these other coaching staffs are filling up. So oh, they are. If, if you like, if something doesn't work out, there might not be any, you know, spots left on the dance floor when all is said and done. Sure. Yeah. One hundred percent. Because now you've had. Remember, all the head coaching vacancies have been filled. Right. Right. The cycle's over. Those teams now are going to have to fill out their staffs. But you're not playing the waiting game anymore. Everybody's in the driver's seat of who's going to be my staff, and let's get all of a sudden into the motion towards the start of free agency. But I just wanted to bring up a point which I think you guys were alluding to, which relates back to the Martindale conversation. Fangio, you were bringing up how he adjusted over the course of his career. So that relates to what we're talking about. When Fangio was in San Francisco, he had the big guys up front that could get after the quarterback. So you can understand he's going to be a little bit more aggressive. In Chicago, guys, if you remember, he had the secondary. That's where the Mm -hmm. strength was. All those opportunistic guys on the back end who would knock the ball out, make plays on the ball. Eddie Jackson, for example, the safety was still on the team. And then he went to Denver. I'd say Denver was more of a mix. Unfortunately, the Von Millers, the Bradley Chubbs couldn't stay healthy. So the point is, Fangio, he had a philosophy that he adopted when he was in San Francisco. He gets to Chicago. He doesn't have the same guys up front. He changes. He adapts. Something that Martindale is certainly going to have to come to realize because he's no longer working with the Baltimore personnel groupings. 201-939-4513. Let's go to Tim in Charleston. He's up next. Hey, Tim. How how you doing, guys? Great to talk to all three at the same time. I got a couple of things, but, I, John, I want to start off with kudos to you. That mailbag piece you had yesterday or the day before, whichever it was, on understanding the salary cap was just awesome. Well, I appreciate and it. I and if the fans out there want to check it out, Tim, I put up a mailbag, and I think Paul proofed that one, right? <laughs> My eyes were bleeding. Yes, but I, I, try, I tried to put everything in layman's terms as much as I the could. The chart was really helpful. And, and I thought that was a great idea. I did my best. And basically, folks, if you want to go check it out, I'll tweet it out later today. Um, a fan asked, basically, can you explain to me how you know salary structure works and restructures work and how it affects the cap in the future? So I created basically a fake contract for a guy, and I said, here's how the cap is affected if you restructure it. That I wasn't explained. your contract? Was not. <laughs> I explained base salary. I explained bonus structures, how that works. So I hope it was – I tried to keep it as simple as possible while delving into the important details so fans understand when you talk about contract restructures and managing the cap, it gives them a better idea of exactly how all that works. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. I, I, I understood it pretty well, but it made it easier for me to grasp so I could explain it to my friends who don't really get it um, or have no clue. But uh, the only thing I wish I it, – it's one of the few features on the app that I can't email to myself 
so that I can share it with people. So I don't know if that's something that you guys could look at. But anyway, well, on the app, there, there should that, be a share button on the app, or like a uh, where you I, where you can like tweet to social media and copy the link, and then put the link yeah, into you, an email. I think right. Usually, there's a share button, a little arrow box with an arrow, and I, and I on use that and everything. I looked three times, I didn't see it, but okay. I'll, I'll look again today. I will but ask anyway, the guys upstairs um, that handle that stuff. Thank you. You could rely um, on the little old it, copy and paste Tim routine. That always works. no, but Lance, the problem is that in the app there is no address to copy and paste. That's you can't the highlight something in the app and then hit copy. No, I don't no? think you can. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. I could try it. I don't know if that'll work. But it's yeah, worth a I shot. Yo, Lance, what I think, okay. I, well, Lance, I think you should email Dominic and see if you can work that out with him to uh, make that a feature. I think he would really appreciate that email from you. I think well, that would work Well, that's on my to-do list today. It's one of my <laughs> top priorities. I will get to it as soon as possible. Yes. So, you know, you know what? I'm going to tell him he's right. He's right? I'm, I'm, there, I'm, right? I'm in the app right now, and for some reason, that particular item does not have the little box on the side where you can hit it and then forward it as a share. Right, there you go. I don't know why. I, that's uh, that's very astute of you. Lance, I want you to take care of that later on the day for me, all right? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm writing it down as we speak. I appreciate I'm telling it. you. Yes. All right, Tim, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so my, my other points were, uh, first of all, I love our hires so far. At the beginning of the process, I wanted Shane and Dayball. Those were my choices, right or wrong. It's worked out that way, so I'm happy. I think Martindale is a great choice. Uh, God willing, it goes through. Because I love what you guys said, John, about um, you know the fact that you know you're not going to run on a Wink Martindale defense. I love that. And then just a quick thing on the draft. Um, you know, I feel like uh, for, uh, 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 quick comment, quick question. I feel like first couple of rounds, tackle, edge rusher. And then uh, I've said it before. I love that guard from Boston College, Zion Johnson, in the second round. That I think that would solidify have, in the top of the draft heavily the offensive line. But then I have a question, and I'd like to kind of get all three your opinions on this because I'm sure they'll differ a little bit. Which is a tight end. Obviously, we need a tight end, uh, or maybe more than one. But just uh, likely, Isaiah likely has been shooting up the draft. As a guy who's this, uh, you know, dangerous uh, catch, pass catcher, you know, a la Ingram, Evan Ingram, but hopefully with more upside. Um, and um, and then you got other, you got a handful of other guys, including Jake Ferguson, who will probably go a bit lower. Now, I know that's my guy. That's my guy. And, and I, I figured you, I figured, I figured Paul would be with me on this point. Is you know, do you take a tight end higher in the draft and get a weapon? Or my feeling is you take one of those other guys a little bit lower because at least the way they're ranked now, they're lower, and and get somebody who can block and develop the pass-catching skills to where he can be a possession receiver. And I'd love to get all three of your opinions on that. Thank you. I'll take the answers off the air. Thank you, Tim. It's actually funny. I asked that question to uh, Mike Renner, who does the draft stuff for Pro Football Focus. Does a really nice job. And he said, look, this is a deep tight end class. He goes, mm -hmm. you can go and pick Meyer or one of those guys in the second round. He said, honestly, though, I'll just wait to the top of the fourth round, pick one of those two-way guys that are left, pick them, and I'm going to get a solid guy I can insert, and he's going to be a solid player for you. So that, that was his take. I have not watched enough of these guys to have a, a firm opinion on that, but that was his opinion on the subject at least.
Lance, I'll let you go next. I'll, I'll wait. Well, if you look at I'm operating based on Brian Dable and his offensive personnel in Buffalo. You know, they had a variety of tight ends that they utilized. Mm-hmm. Lee Smith, for example. OK, he was a guy. He was a blocking tight end, but sometimes they'd use him in the red zone as a target. This guy was a fifth round pick in 2011. I told this story on this program, I think, when I was on with Paul, when Joe Shane, I found it very interesting, they were in Miami, and Dable was the one that influenced them to draft Charles Clay, who was also a late-round pick. Why? Because he went to the front office. He said, I need a jack-of-all-trades. I need a fullback, a guy that can maybe run the ball, catch the ball. Yeah, and Charles Clay fit all that criteria. Dawson Knox didn't have a big resume in college. He was a third-round pick, and they turned him into a very productive player. So if you're asking me based on what Dable's done and Shane and how he utilizes tight ends, I'd be very surprised if they make an aggressive approach for a tight end. I think that they've been very good at identifying value later on in the draft because they don't necessarily look at one guy doing all the heavy lifting but maybe coming in a little bit of a piecemeal type of motion. So I would be very surprised if they make an extremely aggressive move. The other guy that I'll throw out is Trey McBride, who I find a bit intriguing. I know he's not the fastest guy, but he found a way to be productive at Colorado State, and I think he's a decent blocker. So that's another tight end that I would add to the other names that we've thrown out. And I'll just say this, based on Dable and Kafka's history, both of them, right? You're not going to see a lot of two tight end sets. These are heavy 11 personnel teams. So while, Lance, you might rotate tight ends based on different situations and red zone and such, you're not going to have more than one on the field an awful lot unless you're talking about short yardage situations and things of that nature. So that's just one thing to keep in mind when you're thinking about the tight end position. Well, before you jump in, Paul, but, John, it may be he may look at the wide receiver core on this team and he says, I want to keep those guys out there. And, you know, I don't necessarily need to utilize a tight end. And that could be a reason why they can get away with somebody that's well, not exactly. necessarily an yeah. explosive no, 100%. guy. 100%. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you. Right. See, that's why for me the equation that he's got to sort through, and I'm with you, John, I don't think either one of those guys are going to go heavy double tight end. That's just not their way. So what you have to sort through is there's only one ball, okay? You've got a Saquon Barkley. You've got a Tony. You've got a Galladay. Do you need – that tight end, your primary tight end, does he have to be a 65-75 catch guy in this offense? Because I get the point. I mean, if you can obviously find the Travis Kelsey, you'd love to have him, but right. I would say probably not, right? Probably not, right? I, I don't think so. Especially I, if Sterling Shepard's back, too, and healthy as a third guy. And who knows? And, you know, does Darius Slayton bounce back? And have the kind of year that we believe he's capable of. Or do the Giants draft a wide receiver in the second round? Who knows? It could be anything, right? So the question, the equation he's got to come up with is, if I'm going to only have one tight end on the field primarily, and that's going to be the bulk of the tight end snaps, and it's coming from that guy, well, how much of a percentage is he going to be of my passing game, given the other weapons that I have? And if you know he's only going to get 65 targets or 75 targets over the course of the season, well, then he might only be a 45-catch guy. So but then, if he's a good blocker, that's fine. And that's my point. Right. That determines the style of guy you're going to draft and how right. high you have to draft him. Right. Okay? If he thinks like I do, like Tony, Barkley, Galladay, hopefully Slayton, I'm saying to myself, you know what? I'm hoping that Ferguson is there in the third or fourth round I'm taking him because you know what? He's going to spend an awful lot of his time helping my rebuilt offensive line block. 
that's going to be huge for me because they got to rebuild the whole offensive yeah. line or virtually. Char- or Charlie Col- Kohler from Iowa State or, or Ruckert from Ohio State. Take your pick. Okay. So to me, that's what determines what kind of tight end I'm going to take and how high I'm going to take him. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's what he talked about in the interview with him, what I had with him, right? I specifically asked him the question, well, if you have a good player, you know, but – he has to be used a certain way to be good. Are you just going to draft that guy? Or are you going to, you know? And that's common sense. Well, it may, but I was happy to hear it, though. Because you, oh, see, sure. you see GMs sure. just say, I'm going to give my coach a good player, and I'm going to make him figure out how to use him. GMs do that. He was very clear that, no, I'm going to find out exactly what type of tight end. And mm-hmm. he, he didn't say this specifically to the position. Right. But honestly, this was one of the positions I was thinking about when I asked a question, because Tight ends, safeties, linebackers. Those are kind of the three spots mm-hmm. that can really be used in different ways, and their use really determines whether or not a player is going to fit and, and how well it's going to work in a scheme. Right? And how high you have to get him. Right, correct. So he's going to ask Kafka. He's going to ask Dable. Mm-hmm. Guys, what kind of tight end do you want? Do you want Travis Kelsey? Do you want Dawson Knox? Do you want Lee Smith? Take your pick, right? What balance between blocking and receiving do you want? I will go find you that tight end. Exactly. Obviously, the guy that's not Travis Kelsey doesn't run a 4-4 something like Evan Ingram. Those guys are not going to come at as much of a premium. That's not Kyle Pitts, right? You can get those guys later in the draft. Mm-hmm. So that, I think, is going to be a really important conversation. What does Kafka and Dable tell Shane that they want out of the tight end position? Hopefully... If we get access to Brian Dable on Big Blue Kickoff Live at the Combine, I'm hoping we do. Who knows with the schedule if we're going to be able to do it. I will ask him that question, and we'll see what he says. Yeah. I mean, over the years, you know, look at some of the Giants' tight ends who have been on some of their winning teams. Shockey was more of a receiving tight end, but he could block really, really well. What he wanted to. <laughs> what he wanted <laughs> yes. to. Okay. Howard Cross was a blocker. Mm-hmm. Okay. Jake Ballard was an all-around tight end, but not a dynamic receiver. Kevin Boss, Kevin Boss probably was not that dynamic as a receiver. No, but he was a little small. He wasn't like a big point of attack blocker either. He was not a sturdy blocker, but he did it well enough. He was fine. And he was what I would mm-hmm. consider an all-around kind of guy. Yeah, he I did agree. a lot of things pretty well. Yes, yeah, so you didn't draft him to catch 70 balls. No, you did not. Then. Correct. But yes. they were productive in their own And right. that's the yeah. point. Yeah. And that's the point. So... What does that guy need to do to be productive in your style of attack? Don't forget Bear. I want to throw Bear Pasco in that mix too. Bear Pasco! Bear. Bear was the man. Bear Pasco played a bunch of fullback for this team too. Mm-hmm. Yes. Flat out played fullback. So that's that's the long-winded answer to the question. Well, and that goes back to, John, what I was talking about earlier with the Charles Clay example. Yeah, Shane, 100%. He gave that example and he also gave the Gabriel Davis example, which I know doesn't play tight end, but he said the reason they drafted him was because Dable said he wanted a guy that could play all four wide receiver spots. And that then allowed them to go back to their scouting board and say, okay, Davis fits that criteria. We're going to target him because this is exactly what Dable needs for his offense. So, yeah, I thought that was interesting. That was probably one of the most interesting things that I think Shane said on the side during the course of Dable's introductory presser because, you know, that was an actual a concrete example. You know, sometimes, and this goes back to what Paul said, you know, we hear people, they talk in generics. When you have a general manager or a coach give you an exact example of communication that went on at a previous team where they identified a player and they explained why they drafted him, you know, that's something you could hold on to and apply as an example of maybe now what they're thinking about with the Giants. The other thing I wanted to throw out based on what we were talking about, guys, I brought up the numbers, if you're curious, in terms of the targets and the receptions for Dawson Knox. Yeah, sure. Just to give an idea. So 2019, he had 50 targets, which wound up with 28 catches. 
20, it went down to 44 targets, 24 catches. And then 2021, we saw a significant increase, 71 targets, 49 catches. And part of that was because, remember, John Brown left in free agency. They had him the previous year as that third wide receiver. So we're looking at 45 to 70. That was the barometer in terms, in terms, of, terms targets. of targets. Yeah. Correct, over the three seasons. But in terms of catches, 28 to 49. Now, Lee Smith, who we were referencing, who I brought up, Lee Smith had 11 total targets in his two seasons with the <laughs> right. Bills for eight catches. Goal so line you know what end. exactly he was utilizing. And Kelsey gets over 100 targets. Well, yeah, 100. that goes back to, <laughs> you know, you can operate. Yeah. Exactly. But, exactly. But remember, it goes back to, guys, with respect to the Chiefs, okay, outside of Tyreek Hill, you know, Kelsey's really the number two guy mm-hmm. or even the number one guy. You could say you he's the number argue. one guy. Okay, so with Buffalo, though, you have Stephon Diggs. You have Cole Beasley. You had John Brown the previous year. You got Gabriel Davis. I don't think Dable looks the same way that the Chiefs do where we need the tight end to be our number two or maybe even our number three wide receiver. God, I hope so, Lance. So, He'd be on my same page with that one. I hope yeah. he doesn't look at it that yeah. way. Kelsey, by the way, 134 targets last year. Tyreek Hill, 159. Just yeah, to well, so that means idea. you'd have to put yeah. Lee mm-hmm. Smith and Dawson Knox's career together Correct. And the other thing I'll say too, Lance, you so. mentioned concrete examples. And I thought the other interesting answer Joe Shane gave me later in that interview when I asked him about the way I phrased the question is that it's very easy to figure out what these guys are now when you draft them, right? What can this guy do now? It's tougher to figure out what can they become? Well, it's the projection. How can they develop and can this guy develop? Because how many times have you seen a guy come here, you draft him, and then there's no development? Other guys, they come here and they develop really nicely. And he brought up Lance, I thought, two good examples in Dawson Knox's one. Mm-hmm. They said, well, he didn't have a lot of production in, in college. He had zero yeah. touchdown receptions. But we saw his numbers at the Combine. We saw how they used him at college. And we thought this is a guy that can do more based on his athleticism, again, with Combine numbers, stuff like that, and the way he was used at Ole Miss. Remember, he was on the same team as A.J. Brown mm-hmm. and um, D.K. Metcalf. So mm-hmm. big shock. They weren't throwing to Dawson Knox right. a whole lot when you have those exactly. two guys outside, right? So he, And then he gave Devin Singletary. A guy who ran terribly at the Combine, ran a 4-6 as a running back, which is usually a huge red flag. But he's like, well, how can you overcome those numbers, right? Well, he has quickness. He can break tackles. So he did say, Paul, and I'm sure you appreciate this. I managed to reference Bill Parcells for you the interview. I know I'm, you I'm, did. I'm sure you have. I, I, I heard it. And he said, look, I actually do believe in having thresholds for players at positions in terms of testing numbers and measurements. I think everybody does. Right. But he said, specifically, if they don't meet those thresholds, I need to figure out how they can overcome those deficiencies. Right. And, and he, if it's feasible. Correct. Yeah. And if it's feasible. He mentioned Devin Singletary. Now, he didn't mention A.J. Epinesa. That's another guy. He tested terribly for a defensive end. He must have saw something from him where he's like, he can overcome some of this lack of athleticism to still be an effective player. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. We have two calls we got to get in before we say goodbye. Let's go to Joe in Pennsylvania. He's up next. Joe, what's going on? What's going on? Exciting times with the Giants. That's for sure. I, I love it. You just don't know what's happening. You know what I mean? With Dable's offense coordinator and the guy we got from Kansas City coming in here throwing for our offensive coordinator, throwing his stuff in there. It's it's very exciting. Hey, do you see where our our uh, our ex coach Judge might land? Well, shocking! He's going to go back to the Patriots. I don't know. We can't we can't believe it. No, yeah. I hear it's it's uh, Oakland's 
No, well, Las Vegas, you mean. No, yeah. they, they fulfilled uh, yeah. their special teams coordinator position, so that's not happening. There was some speculation oh. that they were considering bringing him in, and he, but and they've a, filled that. And yeah. apparently he's going back to New England as an offensive assistant, Correct. not as a special teams coach. Well, he had was been the receiver's coach there, too. Still, it's yeah. an, interesting. Uh, okay, but I, I have something that's going to uh, blow your mind. You were saying uh, defensive yeah, coordinators. We'll you didn't. You didn't mention this guy. This is the guy that Mr. Mara loves. He he came down to the final eleventh hour. He said between him and uh, uh, Brian there that we we, we uh, got from Buffalo there. What? You know who I'm talking what? about? No, Mr. Flores. Huh? Mr. F- Mr. Flores. Brian Flores. Brian Flores is the defensive coordinator on this team. Joe, with everything that's happened, why? I mean, Joe, come on, no, Joe, Joe, sorry, Joe, no, I mean, no, sorry, sorry. Why would no. he say that? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You know, Grandpa's old know. cough medicine, man. It's amazing <laughs> what type of influence that has on some people. With everything that just happened, I mean, when I'm not even <laughs> no, going, I'm, no, not, no, I'm no, not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Somebody else. I'm stopping. I'm stopping myself. Just go. Just go. Just go. All right, Doug. I have my dad's, but let's see if he can live up to that one. What's going on? <laughs> Snap the ball, Doug. Doug in Rochester, go ahead. Snap it. Doug in New York. I think Doug, Doug got scared once. from what uh, Joe said. Doug going so. twice. Ah, that's a shame. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <sighs> you, you, you know, we finally had somebody outdo Charlie on this show. <laughs> that is a nice exclamation point. I think so. On a Wednesday. I think so. Well, which just goes to show you the barometer that we have sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> program, so. Joe, Joe, we Paul. love you. We're just yes. teasing He's you. He's such a good caller, too. He just went off off base there. Uh, but I'm not going to be on the next two days. I think I'm actually going to be able to take my two days off this week, which good is a whole thing to do. I have not had a day off since basically training camp. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, so let me give you my Super Bowl take. I just have a gut feeling the Bengals are going to win this game. I think the Rams are a more talented team. You know, both sides of the ball, especially on defense. You know, Bengals aren't throwing out of Jalen Ramsey and, more importantly, an Aaron Donald, Devon Miller. You know, Hendrickson's a good player, you know, but they, the Hubbard's a good player, but they don't have those guys, right? Offensively, the Bengals can match with anybody, but how the hell are they going to block Aaron Donald and Devon Miller? Like, that's a problem. Like, it's a legit problem, right? How many sacks this week? <sighs> I don't know. <laughs> but here's my, here's my thing. I think the Bengals, though they're not as good of a team, right now are playing better than the Rams are. They've got the it factor right now. Burrow has these Joe Montana vibes to me mm-hmm. that I have a tr- have trouble pushing aside. I, I, you just have a feel for it. And the last two weeks, I know you guys can do this more on Friday and tomorrow, but the Rams really did a lot to try to lose their last two playoff games, right? Well, they had a big lead against Tampa. Tampa comes all the way back. The and, turnovers killed them. Right. And then Todd Bowles blows a call, you know, whether the players messing it up or it was a bad call, whatever you want, whoever you want to blame for it. You know, they let Cooper Cup go one-on-one with the safety downfield. Uh, duh. Not the, not, you know, whether it was execution or play call, whatever it was. <laughs> not helping your cause Let's there, not guys. cover him. And then if Jaquiski Tart catches an interception that hits him right in the chest, you know, all of a sudden, I Matthew know. Stafford is a goat and not the guy that's, you know, figured figured out how to win. Don't, I'm not going to go on that rant again like I did a couple of days ago. It's just these dumb narratives. You know, the Rams aren't here. 
So for a team that's – and I like Aaron Donald. I, 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 he deserves – like out of all the guys, he deserves to get a Super Bowl. He's fantastic. I get it. I get awesome it. player. And I like Matthew Stafford. Good player. I have nothing against Matthew Stafford. Cooper Cup, great player. Nothing against him. The, they're, they've done too many things the last two weeks – Turning the ball over, Lance, you made a great point. Whether it's Cam Akers, fumbles, the interceptions, the turnovers laid against the Bucs. The Rams have done too much to try to lose these games. Maybe they'll stop it in this game, but if they play that way in this game against the Bengals, they're not going to win. Joe Burrow's not going to lose that game. Jamar Chase, and for the Rams, they have Jalen Ramsey. Who's covering the other two wide receivers for the Bengals? You know, Tyler Boyd's a good player. T. Higgins is a good player. Mm-hmm. So... What and about Joe Mixon? Catch and the ball to the Joe Mixon, and Joe, and Joe Mixon's a really good player. Yeah, he is. 100%. So, to me, put all that together, I think the Cincinnati Bengals are I, – I, I have a gut. That, that, that's my gut that the Bengals are going to win this game. I'll give you two very quick items. Number one, I agree with you about Joe Burrow. I think right now he's got that it factor going for him, the Montana kind of thing. I agree with you, John. Nothing would surprise me about anything he does right now. After getting sacked in a game nine times and still finding a way to be productive and to get his team in position to win, uh, that's just that's supernatural stuff. And then the other thing I would say is, and you guys will probably, I don't want to start a firestorm here, but I'm not a Sean McVay guy. You know, I think he's one of these these young fellas who's all into analytics and he outsmarts himself many times in very important spots because he relies on too many of those numbers, those black and white computer sheets. Um, I could see John Mc, uh, Sean McVay out coaching himself, which he's done before in big spots, and blowing this game. Well, you know, it's funny you brought that up, Paul, because if you remember when he lost to the Patriots a few years ago, the one thing he said was that he studied too much film. Yeah. If you remember in the week leading up to that game. So he, you he wonder, literally said he outsmarted himself. Yeah, yeah. You wonder, did he learn from wrong. that experience, to your point? Hey, look, that, and, and McVay, while he's a great offensive line, I don't think he's some expert game manager. I think I that's think so. something he's still figuring out I a little don't bit. Think so. I think that's fair. No. Well, and also, remember, Kyle Shanahan knows McVay very well from their days together on the Washington staff. So, yep. I mean, mm-hmm. I think that at least may have helped in terms of him knowing uh, his tendencies. And by the way, Zach Taylor probably knows Sean McVay. Sure, they were on the same staff together. Yep. Correct. So, they if there's anyone the who could take advantage of his missteps, it'll be these guys. Now, yeah. it goes the other way, though, too, right? McVay sure. can take advantage of Taylor's missteps, too, because they obviously have familiarity. You know, this is the old uh, Gruden. I know. I know. This is the old Gruden-Callahan thing but from I the But I see a 2000s. track record with McVay of, of making those missteps. I haven't seen... The Bengals people do it. Well, you haven't seen the Bengals in as many situations. That's also true. Yeah. Yeah. I think just the two things that I'll throw out is what's impressed me about the Bengals is, and Paul, I think, alluded to this, they've been facing a lot of pressure with their offensive line all throughout the playoffs. And despite that, you never got the feel that it took them out of a game. It reminds me of Eli Manning in 2011, right? When he got smacked around, but he just kept going. Yeah, normally, you know, teams get beat up in the trenches. It gets to a point where there's just no way they're going to be able to recuperate from this. And And the quarterback looks impacted by it, and he gets panicky and happy feet. We, you're right, Lance. We haven't seen that from Burrow. And and part of the reason is if you go back, and I was looking at this, there's been such great efficiency by the Bengals guys on third downs, even third and longs, where they've taken a sack on second. And some of it, by the way, is Burrow's own decision-making, where he's pedaled backwards and taken the sack as opposed to throwing the ball away. He's I don't want to pin this all on the it. offensive line. Well, he, and Lance, by the way, sometimes if you're in the pocket, you can't throw it away for one because it's intentional ground. Number two, he'd rather take the sack than throw a pick. Burrow well, but I guess like what I'm Eli saying is in that regard. He'll yeah. take he's the sack. Pedaling. No, but uh, what I've seen is he's lost like 10 additional yards. No, that's true. 
that's in true. some of these situations. I agree with which that. Which hasn't helped his team. No, that's fair. So they found a way to have really good efficiency on third down. The other thing is this defense deserves a lot of credit because you were talking about they don't have the big names, John. I agree with you. But DJ Reader is having an outstanding postseason. Hendrickson had 14 sacks this year. He was a great signing from the Saints. And what Luana Rumo and that defense has been able to do, notice this trend. The first game against the Raiders, the Raiders scored six points in the second half. The Titans scored 10. They held the Chiefs to yeah. three points no, you're in right. the second half in overtime. Great call. I have never seen a team be this consistent in terms of their adjustments. So you could see maybe the Rams do have success in the first half. But watch what happens in the second half when they meet at the extended halftime and what this group could do because they've been outstanding in that department. All right, guys. Good stuff. Enjoy the next two good days. Show. I will see you on Monday. Great job by the callers. And again, Joe, we're just teasing you. We love you. Um, and we'll talk to you later in the week, everybody. Thanks for joining us on Big Blue Kick Live, Live again. Again, if you want to listen to that Joe Shane interview, go to the Giants Little Podcast. Make sure you check it out. And we continue to track everything going on with the Giants right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. For Paul and Lance, I'm Schmuck. We'll see you next time, everyone.